You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. This is a new podcast combining discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know... Starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. <laughs> I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back, females and males. <laughs> uh, because we affirm that's all that exists. Uh, we are back with another episode of Distilling Theology, part three of our theology proper um it's almost becoming its own series i guess you could say this is true um but yeah we are very excited uh hopefully lord willing we will uh come to a close uh on this particular topic for now uh during this episode but we'll see we'll see what happens uh we'll let the lord lead as it were um how are you doing tonight blake I'm good, man. It's actually, we're recording earlier than usual, so my windows are mm-hmm. open. It's sunny outside. Mine before, too. You can see I'm going blind here. Before the uh, polar <laughs> vortex comes and uh, ruins everything. Supposedly. We'll see. Yeah. It's like 2020 is, it's been a crazy ride, but uh, it's also been one of the most memeable years in the last decade. So <laughs> Yeah, you're right. <laughs> the, the memes have been great. I feel note. like the, uh, the memes have kept uh, the world sanity at bay. There are memes about memes that say like you're, uh, you know, think that the earth's been around for six billion years or whatever. And, and you're alive at the same time as memes. And I just want to say to those like, hey, look, man, in the providence of God, we exist in a time that we have silly little pictures with captions on them that make us chuckle and uh, bring us together uh, or become <laughs> absurdly divisive because people post silly things. <laughs> so, you know. Anyways, yeah, big facts, big facts. in light of the world being a little crazy right now, I just wanted to commend something that I picked up um, mm. just on a whim because I saw it and I was like, wow, he has another book out already. Um, uh, and that is Coronavirus and Christ by John Piper. It's a little like 112 page booklet. I'm only about halfway through it, but I read ha- I read that in about half an hour. Um, it's a very easy read. It's definitely not on the deep end of the theological spectrum. And he states mm-hmm. as much in the beginning. Basically, his point is. Yes, we can wrestle through all these deep, heady things, and I could make all these heavy biblical arguments for, you know, historical arguments for why the Bible is the Word of God. But I think that just the light of the Word of Christ is enough. Like, it's the heavenliness of its doctrine speaks to it. It fills the hole in our our soul that only God can, right? And he's like, you know, you don't have to be a theologian and all these things to to understand and to believe the Bible. So the first part of the book is talking about God's sovereignty in the midst of, of this situation. And he talks about his own battle with cancer and how rather than causing despair, uh, recognizing the sovereignty of God gives him the greatest depth of peace in the midst. Like we were talking about last week, like, you know, our, our beginning and our end, our days are numbered. Well, they're numbered by who, right? Um, and that gives the greatest comfort in the providence of God that, he who oversaw our beginning also has ordained our end and we can have peace that it's a good righteous God who does that. So that's kind of what he lays out in the first part. 
And the second part, which I'm starting into is, um, what is God doing through it? And he just, a couple of the pointers on the, on the subheadings there are sending specific divine judgments, awakening us for the second coming, realigning us with the infinite uh, worth of Christ and creating good works in danger, loosening roots to reach the nations. So, um, it's a little tiny booklet. I got it for four bucks from Westminster, uh, seminary press and, um, I just found it really refreshing. I think it's definitely geared more towards uh, people who don't have as much interest in the reading thousand page volumes of systematic theology um, or to new Christians or to people who are just wrestling and and feel like everything is crazy right now and they can't make sense of the world. I think this is a great resource. Um, I'm not getting paid by Crossway to plug that. That's just... uh, It it, it almost sounds like... (laughs) It almost sounds like he's echoing kind of the... Uh, the mindset of uh, Luther or Lewis when they said, uh, God is sovereign, go about your daily lives uh, in the midst. Yeah. I, I mean, consider Luther in the midst of the plague. You know, yeah. he, he says, you know, I'll do what I can to love my neighbor. I'll fumigate. Um, and I'm not going to go out of my way to get anybody sick. But at the same time, I'm going to minister to the people who need me. Uh, yeah. And then Lewis, you know, find, uh, may whatever come find you doing human things, bathing your children, having a pint with your friends, you know, doing the normal daily human things, um, trusting in the sovereignty of God uh, in the midst of literally anything that comes. Yeah, and it's um, supremely biblical and uh, eminently pastoral and warm. So uh, I, especially if you have friends or relatives who are either, you know, kind of baby believers and are overwhelmed by all this or who um, don't know Christ. I think it's sure. a great resource in that way because he's definitely speaking to all those people. So I, and I've been very blessed by it. So anywho, Excellent. Yeah. yeah. What about you? What have you been, what have you been up to? Same stuff, different day, my friend. Uh, sure. Reading through two different works right now by Gentry. Um, reading through Babink still. Um, I've been organizing my Bibles lately <laughs> because I have quite a few of them. Uh, and another on the way, uh, of course. Um, but ultimately, um, I've been good. I've been busy, obviously, spending time with uh, my family and my my son, uh, enjoying all this extra time we're getting together because of the virus. Uh, I feel weirdly um, blessed amidst uh, what appears to be a curse to so many people. Sure. Um, you know, I'm getting all this extra time, my boy. Uh, I'm getting to spend lots of time with my family. I'm able to spend so much of my day now focused on uh, reading, um, studying, <laughs> doing this. Uh, so it's just really neat. Um, uh, blessings uh, amidst um, plague is, is pretty pretty interesting and pretty good. So, yeah. Um, yeah, God is good and been busy, that's for sure. Um, by no means have I been slacking off, so... <laughs> but I'm excited to talk about uh talk about this tonight. Um if is there anything else you wanna mention before we hop into sipping this lovely whiskey we have before us today? Just a reminder that we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasts. It's a mega feed mm. of doctrinally sound podcasts from a reformed perspective. And you can get access to it at reformedpodcasts.com. Uh, some of the shows include The Bobcast, Fast God Stuff, Reformed Pilgrims, and The Reformed Brotherhood. 
Uh, all these shows have their own interesting flavor and and tenor. I like to think that we're kind of the the raucous cowboys of the bunch. Um, <laughs> uh, and, sure. and all that to say, uh, all these other shows are really solid. Um, Fast God stuff is kind of hilarious and fun in its own way. Um, Reform Pilgrims go through a lot of topics in a little bit more detail than we are. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking yeah. about um, classical theism and divine simplicity today. We actually kind of as, interviewed Nick uh, from Reform yeah. Pilgrims. So check out that episode. It's true. And we were on their show, which was a blast. Yeah, we were. Um, and this, the, but I mentioned them because they've been doing a series uh, of God is going through the mm-hmm. attributes of God as part of talking about classical theism. So as an expanded resource on what we're talking about today, I would definitely say check out their series, um, which wasn't actually going to be my recommendation, but there it is. And obviously also there's Reformed Brotherhood. They just did an episode uh, this week, 185, on Reformed Christology and some of the early errors that I'm not going to pr- try to pronounce um, because Tony <laughs> made fun of Jesse for his pronunciation and vice versa. But uh, they talk about how some of the problems in Pentecostal theology, particularly the more extreme variations, basically stem down to Christological errors. So sure. definitely sure. worth checking out. Justin, what yeah. are we sipping today? I am very excited for Blackened Whiskey. This is uh, Batch 81 specifically. Um, and you have met somebody important, uh, as it were, uh, related to this, have you not? I did. So Black and Whiskey was a project um, from the band Metallica. They wanted to do a whiskey release. And I'll start by Sick. saying this. There's a lot of celebrity whiskeys or celebrity spirit brands that are just blasé and um, gimmicks. Sure. They take yeah. the the cheapest possible swill, slap their brand on it, and throw it out, and and get you know licensing from it. Swill, and I love swill, that yeah. term. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, that's what a lot of celebrity whiskey yeah. is. But fortunately for us today, that is not what these guys did. They met with legendary <laughs> distiller uh, Dave Pickerel and talked to them about this idea they had that they wanted uh, to somehow represent their band in this whiskey. I actually got to meet Dave Pickerel at a whiskey tasting event that was held in upstate New York in October of 2018. Yeah. It was great, dude. I, awesome. uh, I tasted a lot of different whiskeys that day. We did have a designated driver, so had someone come pick us up. Um, but it was awesome. I mean, it was, it was really great to be around other people in that environment. I got to taste stuff from Highland Park, Ardbeg, uh, from the Heaven Hill Distillery, and many, many, many more. Those are just some of the standouts. And I got to meet Dave. Uh, and why he's such a big deal was he worked for Maker's Mark as their master distiller for 14 years. So that's something to begin with. That's like kind of where he starts. And then after yeah. that, he started a consulting firm called Oakview Spirits, where he advised over 100 distilleries. Because of that, he's been called the founding father of the craft distilling movement. Uh, he, some notable brands are Watershed Distillery, Copper Fox Distillery, Garrison Brothers Distillery in Texas, and Whistlepig, which we've already tasted, um, which is what he's super famous for because Whistlepig 10 went on to win uh, Rye Whiskey of the Year at a couple different uh, festivals. So then uh, when Metallica wanted to do this brand, they didn't just do a gimmicky thing. They, got, they called up Dave Pickerel, who's yeah. like the guy. And what Dave is very famous for in particular is bringing a Scotch whiskey making technique to American whiskey, which is doing cask finishes, right? So um, Whistlepig 10 doesn't do that, but Whistlepig 12 year is finished in a series of different casks from wines and other other products. And what's the Scotch is better. 
That's right. Um, <laughs> but what Dave did was he he saw how American whiskey could benefit from those same techniques that the Scotch distilleries have been utilizing. Sure. And so he's kind of famous for that. So blackened whiskey is an expression in that way. Unfortunately, um, he died on November 1st it, uh, in San Francisco, California, 2018, um, which was like a week after I'd met him, which was kind of a weird for me, it was a weird and sobering experience because, you know, I spent maybe 15 minutes with him. But when I was talking to him, I was struck by his passion, his vigor, uh, and the fact that he just genuinely loved what he did and wanted to share it with people. And it it was in one sense, it was convicting because it was like, wow, I, I want to be as passionate and, and gentle and kind about the gospel as mm. this man was about his distillation. I know nothing about his faith background. I don't know whether he was saved or not. Um, but it was a reminder to me of our mortality. Uh, and it was, it was just kind of jarring, right? Cause usually sure. I've been around people and, um, you know, I've seen people go through the hospital and go through cancer and, and lose their battle there or old age, losing grandparents. Um, there've been things like car accidents and what, you know, what have you, but it was the first time in my life that I vividly remembered, like meeting someone who was totally healthy. And then a week later they were gone. Um, how did was, he, do you know how he died? Uh, I, I will double check just to make sure that I don't misspeak because I don't want to, I don't want to misspeak. Uh, I think I know, but I want to just uh, confirm that real quick. Um, he died of hypertensive heart failure on November 1st. Jeez. So it was, um, and I actually got to meet other people who were representing the blackened brand uh, at a tasting event in New York city the following summer. So about a year yeah. ago. Uh, and it was awesome to talk to them because they also had very fond memories of Dave. So, um, you know, again, in the midst of a distill of a theology podcast, a reminder, memento mori, right? Remember you were yeah. mortal. Uh, and also even in the common grace areas, even in the, you know, the area of vocation, let your light shine. Yeah, uh, I, again, absolutely. I don't know where Dave's Dave's status was there, but for us as Christians, even when we're not discussing the gospel, we should be gracious and passionate about the things that God has placed us to do, um, mm -hmm. particularly if we've been blessed to work on something that we really love. So, well, that's the yeah. that's the <laughs> consider how that combats something like Gnosticism, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the idea that the worldly things are not as good as uh, pastoral things or ministerial things. Yeah. Uh, whatever you do. Right. Whether you eat or drink, <laughs> but whatever you do, <laughs> uh, do it to the glory of God, because yeah. ultimately your job as a, a distiller or a janitor or a fast food worker or a nurse or whatever you're doing. Ultimately, it's, it's all God glorifying if you're doing it unto Christ. So, yeah, yeah. Paul was a tent maker. Um, yeah, like, precisely. Jesus was a carpenter. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, Peter was a fisherman. Like, yeah, it doesn't mean that we can't have earthly vocations. Matthew and, was a tax collector <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, so yeah so all, all that said um i'm excited a, right yeah this is a this very is good. interesting spirit um it's a blended american whiskey so from what they say on the website they're not very mm. detailed about what specifically is in it um so it's, it's non-age stated uh but i can tell you this because it says that it contains bourbon and rye not just corn-based distillate and rye sure i can pretty safely assume that the bourbon you know, it's at least two years old. It's been aged in virgin charred oak barrels. Um, it's at least 51% corn. The rye is at least 51% rye. Supposedly, it's more heavily focused on bourbon in the blend. And I think there might be some malt whiskey in there as well. I couldn't tell. Um, it's finished in black brandy casks, which is going to impart yeah. a particular flavor. Um, 
it's bottled at 45% or 90 proof, um, which is nice because a lot of times these celebrity releases are just like 80 proof. They're like the bare minimum uh, to be yeah. considered whiskey. And they 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 really went into it. Um, the other interesting thing is the batch <laughs> number is 81. And that so we'll get into this in a second about specifically what this all has to do with Metallica. Um, but 81, like each batch number isn't in reference to different mash bills or cask finishes. It's in reference to the music that they played for the whiskey. Mm -hmm. Uh, so do you want to read the paragraph there that, that, uh, Metallica connection one? Yeah, I was actually, I also have it up on the website as oh, well. Yeah. I basically um, just copied off the website because yeah, it's hard so, to, yeah. <laughs> after the whiskeys were combined, uh, in the black brandy casks, uh, for finishing their quote unquote jolted back to life by the unmistakable earth shattering music of Metallica, uh, using the proprietary sonic enhancement system, black noise TM, the whiskey is pummeled. <laughs> by low hertz sound waves so concentrated that it actually intensifies the molecular interaction of the whiskey causing it to seep deeper into the barrel where it picks up additional wood flavor characteristics so basically um, it, it throws the whiskey in a mosh pit yeah <laughs> right so uh i i don't know if the science behind that is legit but it sounds interesting and it sounds awesome sure uh, um when I so actually I asked Dave about that explicitly because yeah. he yeah. was like the last table that I went to. Um, and that was what amazed me. This event was four hours long. People talking nonstop. He's something of a legend. Here he is in the middle of upstate New York. So everybody wants sure. to talk to him. Sure. It's the end of the day. He and his guys are breaking down their table and I come over to taste it with him. And I'm a little, you know, I've, I've been tasting whiskey for four hours. And I ask him about like, it. We don't endorse that here. <laughs> and uh and I ask him about it and he, he's just totally kind. And like, even though, you know, like you and I have talked about like, you know, the hundred million times that you get the same questions. And I said like, okay, but is it a gimmick? And he said, well, when they presented it to me, it was a bit of a gimmick. And he actually spent a bunch of time with the band, getting to know the guys and their story and their relationship, because he wanted to reflect that in the whiskey, not just the music. Right. And then they developed this sound system and, and basically what it is, is it'll play a certain frequency of noise that vibrates um, the barrel in such a way that it forces the the whiskey to interact with it more dramatically, which does bring out different flavors. Uh, so they call That's that sonic enhancement, which is the process of using certain noise. sounds. Yeah. <laughs> certain sounds to affect the spirit inside the barrel when applied properly, the sound waves actually cause movement of the barrel and the liquid inside. This movement increases the interaction between the liquid and the barrel resulting in deeper penetration of the spirit into the wood whiskey gain. The whiskey gains a great deal of character from the barrel. Flavors such as clove, cinnamon, and nutmeg, as well as a variety of aromas like vanilla and caramel. Sonic enhancement kicks these characters up a notch or two, depending on the sound waves being deployed. So the batch numbers are actually a reference to the Metallica playlist that the band members selected. Right, so because each each, each yeah. batch of 5,000 bottles, right, they come yeah. with an accompanying playlist on Spotify and That's Apple right. Music. Right, so yeah. for the uh, inaugural release, uh, Metallica selects and arranges um, just a number of different songs. Uh, in this particular one, they have uh, 15, looks like 15 different songs yeah. um, to go along with the particular uh, batch. So that's really interesting. It'd be, yeah. it would be cool uh, to sit down and have a bottle of this and to be able to enjoy it um, while listening to uh, the music sure. that pummeled it uh, for a period of time. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we can't do that here because no. uh, I'm already pushing my luck, I think, with uh, the game show sound effects that I use. <laughs> 
but we'll see. Uh, so anyways, let's see what we're getting on the nose before we read their, um, their notes. Uh, they do say that, uh, the spirit has a warm honey, amber color, which I totally agree. It's definitely on that honey yellow side. Yeah. Um, what are you getting on the nose, Justin? It's very caramely or caramelly or depending on what part of the country you're in. Um, but it's definitely got, it's definitely got oak and honey and caramel. Mm -hmm. Maybe even some vanilla, some pepper. I also get, yeah, pepper, a little bit of that spiciness, um, yeah. which definitely comes from the rye aspect because yeah. it is blended. Um, it's very pleasant to smell. Yeah. It's. Uh, this is another one of those whiskeys that would make a great cologne if you didn't get you thrown in jail. <laughs> we'll just keep pushing on it. Someday we'll. Uh, We'll have that in the distilling theology store. I mean, I have uh, I have beer uh, beer soap. My soap mm. uh, smells like old Milwaukee. Nice. Yeah, this is um, it's refreshing too. Like the the aroma, it's not it's very, um, yeah, it's very bright. Yeah. So there's honey. There's but it's not necessarily citrus. I don't I don't really get like nope. like lemon brightness. No, I'm not it's getting like, I'm not getting fruits or any of that. No, like like, like a lot of times you get with scotch. No, it's very um, bright spices. Uh, the honey's bright. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's just kind of great. Let's uh, let's take a little tasting here and get into it. Cheers. Whoa, yo, that's good. <laughs> oh, there's like. Oh yeah, I forgot cinnamon, how good this was. Clove. There's like a mintiness. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of like almost peaches in the front, I feel like, okay. with the honey. Okay. You get that? Like Or apricots maybe? Yeah. It's in that neighborhood though, you know, like kind of mm -hmm. away from the bright orange lemon citrus and away from apples. It's a little more Yeah. I don't know what, what to call that. I'm not um, quite advanced enough. I, I, the word for that would be because it's got the sweetness, but it's got more of a tartness to it than it yeah. does um the the more the more bittersweet that you get with like an apple. I'm having more. It's really good. Orchard fruit. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's almost like a, there's almost like a candy type uh, flavor, like a very sweet caramelized candy on the front. Yeah. It's also kind of mouthwatering too. Yeah. Like the scotch we did last week. It's like, um, butterscotch mm. that's what i'm thinking of there's like a butterscotch yeah. sweetness to it i like uh, that like the taffy okay mr oh. reading the notes <laughs> no <laughs> no uh the um i am curious what their notes actually say though i have them right there in the uh, show notes actually page oh. page two <laughs> hey i'm on page three oh uh, yeah you went too far hey honey cinnamon allspice clove mint apricot hey apricot yeah. you were right eat Man, this is really delightful. Oh, butterscotch taffy, maple. Okay, uh -huh. maple. Maple makes sense. I can on the, on the finish that. there. The, yeah. Oh, that's a good word. Slightly creamy hints of butterscotch taffy, maple, and honey for the smooth finish. Mm -hmm. My grandma always used to have those butterscotch taffy candies, and immediately started to think of that. Yeah, this is really, oh, good. really good this whiskey. This is super good, man. And it's only this about really a forty-five dollar bottle, give or take. That's it's worth more than 40. You could, yeah. you could sell it for more than that. That's really yeah. good. 
Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Everything that I've had from Dave Pickerel's expressions, I've had a bunch of Whistle Pigs. I've had a couple different whiskeys from sure. Garrison Bros. Obviously, I've had this. Um, and obviously, his influence at Maker's Mark is still felt today. That's so good. And I've had that's, that. Yeah. That's got to be like in my top top 10 right there. Wow. That is that super is good. High praise. That is super good. High praise. How would you, what, what, um, what theological work would you compare it to or what doctrine? Um, I would say, uh, this is, uh, limited atonement. <laughs> Cause it's not available, oh. you know, for everybody. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey, you asked the question. I did. I did. I feel like um, the, to me, this would be, um, Calvin's book on the Christian life. Okay. In a book. All right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Sure. It's sure. got that warmth and that gentleness, but it's also, mm-hmm. it packs a punch. It's not a wimpy little thing, even though it's a tiny, yeah. you know, small release. Anyhow. Yeah. Uh, unlike something like, um, like the Highland Park, that's more of like a sinners in the hands of an angry God. <laughs> no, that would be Lafroy cask strength. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh boy. Not to be confused with LaCroix, the cask strength. <laughs> uh, all right. Speaking of. Uh, theology. Um, let's jump in uh, to our theology topic today with uh, some prayer, as usual, with the Valley of Vision. I affirm. Um, I thought it wise, uh, speaking of God's sovereignty, to uh, pick up on page 166 of Valley of Vision, uh, the prayer called Man a Nothing. Um, so I'm going to read that, and we shall revere God as we should. Amen. O Lord, I am a shell full of dust but animated with an invisible, rational soul and made anew by an unseen power of grace. Yet I am no rare object of valuable price, but one that has nothing and is nothing, although chosen from thee from eternity, given to Christ and born again. I am deeply convinced of all the evil and misery of a sinful state, but the, but, uh, of the vanity of creatures, but also of the sufficiency of Christ. When thou wouldst guide me, I control myself, when thou wouldst be sovereign, I rule myself. When thou wouldst take care of me, I suffice myself. When I should depend on thy providings, I supply for myself. When I should submit, when I should submit to thy providence, I follow my will. When I should study, love, honor, trust thee, I serve myself. I fault and correct thy laws to suit myself. Instead of thee, I look to a man's approbation, and I am by nature an idolater. Lord, it is my chief design to bring my heart back to thee. Convince me that I cannot be my own God or make myself happy, nor my own Christ to restore my joy, nor my own spirit to teach, guide, or rule me. Help me to see that grace does not or does by this providential affliction, for when my credit is good, thou dost cast me lower. When my riches are my idol, thou dost wing them away. When pleasure is all that uh, thou dost turn it into bitterness." Take away my roving eye, curious ear, greedy appetite, and lustful heart. Show me that none of these things can heal a wounded conscience or support a tottering frame or uphold the departing spirit. Then take me to the cross and leave me there. Mm. I thought of uh, that quote, uh, man's heart is a uh, factory of idols. Yeah, um, Calvin. Yeah, it's, I'll tell you, 
When I read prayers like these, I'm reminded how pitiful my own repentant prayers are. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but pitiful not in the in the real sense, but, um, you know, it, it's just a very humbling, it's humbling to read prayers that truly call out who we are for what we are. Um, yeah. You know, we, we so often, I think a lot of times pray uh, perhaps uh, favorably to ourselves. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I screwed up, but you know, it happens. No, it's like, remind me that I am dust. <laughs> yeah. You know, I am yeah. merely an empty vessel apart from Christ. Mm. Uh, great stuff, man. Great stuff. It's a good spot to start, brother. It's like we're uh, revisiting what we talked about two weeks ago mm. with divine incomprehensibility, which is the starting place of all theology, uh, particularly of theology proper. This this posture of humility where we recognize we can spend our entire lives studying this. We can wrestle through, we can read the greatest theological works, but at the end of the day, in the final analysis, uh, there is a a sense, a a real way in which we will never fully comprehend God. There are aspects of his character that are incomprehensible to our finite human minds. But that said, God uses accommodative language to help us understand Uh, We talked about anthropomorphic and anthropopathic language where scripture uh, tells us true things about God by applying human physical and emotional attributes. We talked about theologians and and the scripture using the ways of negation, eminence, and affirmation to describe uh, God. We talked about equivocal, univocal, and analogical uses of language and how the Bible uses analogical language uh, to convey truth about God. And last week, we talked about God's communicable and his incommunicable attributes, his aseity and transcendence, his providence and the will of God. And this week, you know, we're just talking about divine simplicity and classical theism, (laughs) NBD. (laughs) Oh, Why did I think we could do this in one episode? I don't know, but I'm I'm glad that we didn't. Um, Same. No, this is is very important, uh, very important doctrine and um, crucial, I'd say even, a crucial doctrine. That, uh, that all Christians should be at least familiar with in some capacity. Um, sure. Which is, but, it's, but because it's so crucial and important and easy to screw up, it's why we have depended so heavily on uh, men much smarter than us uh, yes. throughout this. Um, but we want to touch on it mm-hmm. because it's important to talk about. Um, so, for mm-hmm. example, with divine simplicity, uh, or in other words, the idea that God is not made up of parts— uh, or as James Dolezal says, all that is in God is God, right? Um, <laughs> for it, well, let's flesh that idea yeah, out for a second, yeah. right? All that is in God is God. Well, what does that mean? Sure. Um, what does God say? What does God do when when Moses says, "Show me your glory"? Right? He hides him in the cleft of the rock, and he passes by, and he declares his attributes in an unambiguous way. Sure. Um, and I think what happens is Christians are unfortunately prone because this is how, again, anthropomorphically speaking, we take on attributes, sure. right? I take on, I grow in love. I grow in righteousness. I grow in patience, right? These are things that I take on. They are external to myself and I have to develop them, right? But that's not true of God. Sure. All that is in God is God. God is his attributes is another way of saying that, Um we're going to read some quotes here that just like uh, get into well, it. Well, yeah. before I hop into that, um, yeah, Herman Bavink, uh, one of our favorites <laughs> mm. uh, of divine simplicity, says that the oneness of God does not only consist in a unity of singularity, 
however, but also in a unity of simplicity. The fact of the matter is that Scripture, uh, to denote the fullness of the life of God, uses not only adjectives but also substantiatives. Uh, tells us that God is not only, or tells us not only that God is truthful, righteous, living, illuminating, loving, wise, but also that He is truth, righteousness, love, light, uh, life, and wisdom. Uh, and a, mm. uh, there's a host of Scripture, obviously, uh, that talks about that. Um, so on one account uh, of its absolute perfection, every attribute of God is identical with His essence. Right, mm-hmm. um, He is His attributes. <laughs> God is love. God is wrath. God is justice. God is God. Right? He is right. infinite. He is personal. He is um, omnipresent. He's omnipotent. You know. Well, and this kind of gets into the differences. You know, we talk about negation, mm-hmm. and, and you're drawing that out there. Negation, um, uh, eminence, and affirmation. When we say God is omnipresent or omniscient, what we're saying is because of who God is, he has all power, all knowledge, yes. right? Um, when we talk about the way, uh, the negation, he is immortal, he's invisible, he's immutable, uh, he's not changeable, right? Immut- immutability, he doesn't, exp- he doesn't undergo change. Um, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, there's quotes, you know, we can get into that later, but... Um, the important thing about all those is they're telling us either, uh, you know, giving us the greatest picture of what God is or what God isn't. And then when we have affirmation, we're really directly addressing his, you know, inter- his personal attributes, love, um, loving, kind, uh, you know, uh, long suffering, sure. mercy, just, holy. Um, and Tony and Jesse actually had a good on, on Reformed Brotherhood. Uh, I don't remember which episode they were talking about this. Uh, it was a while ago, but they brought up the point that. You know, as much as all of us love Dr. R.C. Sproul, he sometimes in his in his statement like the the triple repetition of holiness, right? Sproul would say, "Well, God, uh, you know, this is like the essence of what it is to be divine." Well, the, what Tony and Jesse drew out is that if you take that statement unqualified from the rest of Sproul's thinking and from the rest of Reformed thought, you would think that holiness is what it is to be God, sure. not that God that holiness is holiness because it's what God is, right? You, you're reversing. And and that's not what Sproul's intention was, and and they pointed they were quick to point out that anytime anyone pressed Doctor Sproul on it, he would always articulate that very clearly, yeah. and he was simply making a point because we have so lost sight of the holiness of mm-hmm. God as Christians. But it's interesting to to recognize that right, we don't speak of God's justice to the exclusion of His mercy, nor His holiness to the exclusion of His love, nor His wrath to the exclusion of His long suffering. Sure. Right, He is all of those things. Right. <laughs> And he, he actually is them, not well, I, just I think one of the on. biggest problems here that we have in the West <laughs> is that we do do that. Yeah. We focus in on just yeah. one of his attributes, his love and his mercy and his grace. Right. And we forget about his justice, his wrath, his power and his holiness. Um, mm. he, he's all of those things and those things are inseparable. You can't separate those things from one another. Right. Um, and I think it's important to distinguish us as people, created beings, um, as compared to God, when it comes down to simplicity, right? Um, yeah. Bavink says uh, specifically here, um, and these aren't in the show notes, but I happen to have them open. Uh, My man. <laughs> uh, in the case of the creature, all of this is very different. Uh, in their case, there's a difference between existing, being, living, knowing, willing, acting, and so on. All that is compounded is created. No creature can be completely simple, for every creature is finite. God, however, is infinite. And all that is in him is infinite. So all of his attributes are divine, hence infinite, and one with his being. And for that reason, he is 
and can only be all sufficient, fully blessed and glorious within himself. Uh, and from this alone, it is already evident that the simplicity of God is absolutely not just a metaphysical abstraction, right? So mm-hmm. that's a good point. <laughs> um, yeah. it, he, it's, it's bound up in his nature, right? It's his infinite, right. his infiniteness, all of these things. Um, when we combine that with looking at how he's not dependent, he's totally autonomous. Um, Right. I mean, we could go on and on talking about how incomprehensible that is, but <laughs> sure. Uh, but that's an important distinction to make. Yeah, absolutely. And I like Dolezal's definition of it from All That Is in God on page 40. He says, the principal claim of divine simplicity is that God is not composed of parts. Right. For whatever is composed of parts depends upon its parts in order to be as it is. Think of the simple analogy that we always use in Christian apologetics, the watchmaker, mm. right? Um, the watch has parts. Uh, there's the mainspring, there's all these different gears. There are devices to keep it interlocking, particularly when you get into like, um, manual movements and automatic movements, it gets kind of crazy. Um, but without all those parts, it's not a watch, right? (laughs) God is not. And and same with human, right? We talk about irreducible complexity when we're dealing with, um, you know, evolution, talking about addressing, uh, the theory of evolution by natural selection. Um, part of the one of the big weaknesses in that is this idea of irreducible complexity that there are aspects of, of a human being that you would have to have all the parts at once functioning in order for the part to actually be functional. Right. But God isn't that way because right. God is all that. Like he, he doesn't have blood vessels and a cornea and all these different pieces <laughs> that we have in an eye. He is all of his ad, right. right? So, uh, and Dolezal goes on and says, um, a part is anything in a subject that is less than the whole and without which the subject would be really different than it is. In short, composite beings need their parts in order to exist as they do. So it's kind of interesting how all of this, there's a beautiful cohesiveness to the Christian worldview, yeah. which Bobbin gets into um, both in uh, Wonderful Works of God and also in a shorter book called Christian Worldview. Um, there's this cohesion sure. where our theology proper when properly aligned from scripture will also inform and correct our anthropology or our view of man. Right. So in this case, we as creatures that are um, composite in nature, we need all these different parts in order to be what we are. But God doesn't have these parts. He just is. Uh, Do you want to read that next thing there from page 42? Yeah. He goes on to say, uh, if all that is in God is God, then each of his attributes is identical with his essence, which is kind of what uh, Bavink was saying. By contrast, most of his cre- most of a creature's attributes are not identical with its essence. A man or a woman may be good, wise, just, merciful, and the like, but they are, these are not identical with their human essence. Consider the many humans who do not exhibit any of these attributes and yet are still processed of the same human essence. Thus, in humans, these attributes are realities that add some quality of being in addition to the substantial form of humanity. But if God is simple, then there can be no real distinction between his essence or substantial form and his attributes. So God does not depend on his qualities really distinct from his divine essence in order to exist as he does. He does not require what is not God, or i.e. not divinity, in order to be anything that he is. So, (laughs) uh, ultimately... It doesn't matter what yours and my attributes are uh, because we're still humans in essence. Um, I can have uh, justice and you can have not justice, but that doesn't make either one of us less human. Uh, Right. Though I would argue uh, whenever we sin, which is all the time, 
we are acting less than human. Um, but that's a sure. different, but that's, right, that's a different ontological, right, right, that's a different um, conversation <laughs> to have, but um, sure. right. Ooh, but in essence, in, the deep end now. <laughs> in, in essence, uh, we are still uh, essentially human. Um, we right. are created for our substantial right. form, right. right? We don't, we don't, even though we behave as subhuman, even though we behave subhuman right. in our actions, right. our essence, right. our nature is unchanged, right? Um, so yeah. this then gets into uh, re- repeating a little bit of what we talked about last week, but this ties into simplicity and, and the bitter, bigger picture of, of classical theism, which is God's aseity. God is not contingent. Again, from Alders in God, pages 40 and 41, Dolezal writes, but God is absolute in being. Mm-hmm. Alone, the sufficient reason for himself <laughs> and all other things. I'm going to read that yeah, again because I can't wrap my that's head around. Good. But God is absolute in being. Alone, the sufficient reason for himself and all other things. And so cannot in any respect derive his being from another. Because God cannot depend on what is not God in order to be God, theologians traditionally insist that all that is in God is God. <laughs> so, I mean, th- that's a simple phrasing, sure. but my mind is completely yeah, blown yeah. by that. Well, right. And, and that's the testimony of Scripture. Pre- I mean, precise. it's not just like smart people sitting around in armchairs philosophizing. This is a distillation and a summation of what we see from Genesis to Revelation of what God has communicated to us about himself. And, and, and when we think about just Revelation— Revelation to us, I mean, that just ties in so well with God being self-autonomous and totally independent, right? Um, we, yeah. we read about this in, in the wonderful works of God, this, this idea that no matter what we do, even in our human essence, we are always in some way, shape, or form revealing certain things to people. Uh, yeah. and, and there's certain things that we re- reveal that we can't even control. Uh, but God, being God has total independence in how he reveals himself and what he reveals about himself. And it's just an incredible, mind-blowing, incomprehensible idea. And that ties in as well to this idea that God has perfect knowledge of himself, Mm -hmm. where we don't. We have some knowledge of ourselves, Mm -hmm. and in some regards, we're self-deceived. Absolutely. uh, And in other regards, we just are blind to aspects of our persona. And so when we try to be selective about what we reveal of ourselves to other people. Um, I mean, we, we see that if, sort of thing in movies, like uh, oh, this yeah. idea that we, we never think that we could be a terrible person. And then somebody right. steals your child and all of a sudden you become, you know, uh, this, this crazed person who, who's killing Commando. left and right. And like, we don't think about those things and, and it, sure. we surprise ourselves, I think often, maybe even sometimes on a daily basis in certain things. Um, yeah. We don't realize what or we're God doesn't of. experience that right. because God is totally self-aware. He only because he's omniscient, right? right. He has all knowledge um, <laughs> that includes knowledge of himself, yeah. which means he has an, an infinite and perfect knowledge of himself, which means that when he chooses to reveal to us, he has complete control over the revelation given to mm-hmm. us over the, the manner of that revelation. And it is a true revelation. Yeah. Because it's coming from one who knows himself perfectly. Well, and this combats the the nonsense of open theism, for example. This idea that God yeah. has to learn or gain knowledge, right? right? Um, God, by right. nature, being God, can't gain knowledge because he has all knowledge. <laughs> I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah. 
I was going to say that also ties into the classical doctrine of immutability right. or God not undergoing change, um, which I'm not going to get into in depth here, but the basic, like, so just let's draw that out for a, a second here. If God can't undergo change, okay, well, what is gaining knowledge? Right. That's a change in your state of your knowledge. Your experience like a right. change, right? <laughs> so fundamentally, because, and, and if, and, and this is where Dull is all, I didn't quote this, but it just goes like so good. Um, he says, if God were to gain knowledge, then that would mean that he wasn't perfect in his knowledge before that. And he uh, became more perfect in his knowledge, right. which would mean that he was less than God before. And now he is more God, which is heresy. Yeah. Right. Or um, sounds like Mormonism. That, <laughs> <laughs> right. Or it would mean that um, God is uh, if he didn't need it to be fully god sure. then he's adding something to himself that he doesn't actually need right, right? so right. so either way we have a problem but, well right <laughs> and the biblical right the, no matter which way you slice it without immutability without omniscience we run into serious issues against the testimony of scripture and we start saying things about god that are fundamentally untrue and ultimately why does classical theism matter um some people are very adamantly anti-thomist right or, or following the the doctrines of thomas aquinas mm. in regards to simplicity and classical sure. theism right uh, and I like to engage with those people. I'm not a philosopher. Uh, I'm not a formal theologian. So, you know, there's people more qualified than Listen, me to address everyone's it. Everyone's a theologian. <laughs> That's right. But I'm, uh, and, and Dolezal here, I think, you know, he's not, even though it might sound kind of philosophical and heady, if you've been kind of following what we're tracking sure. with, mostly it's theological and doxological. Mm -hmm. He's really not dabbling that crazy. It's kind of technical, but it's pretty accessible. I find, right. I mean, I can read it and understand it. Right. The, the fact is like, it's not complicated when it's, when you, when you read through this, um, it yeah. is a simple doctrine. It's just an incomprehensible doctrine. That's the right. thing. Uh, so it, and arguably this is something that Christians have known since the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we've, we've just in this modern culture, we've forgotten, we've lost such sense of academia when it comes to theology when it comes to the sure. church that we just don't, don't have any idea. Uh, who God is uh, or who we right. are, you know, Spr Sproul saying, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, we don't have fear of God. So, yeah. right. And ultimately that's where this comes into right. is recognizing God doesn't deserve worship and praise just because he's done things for us and has promised things. He deserves it because of who he right. is fundamentally right. much like children owe obedience to their parents Although not exactly, obviously that's a, there's a, there's a bit of a line there because it's obey your parents in the Lord. If your parents are commanding you to sin, that's different. Right. right? But in general, right. Why do they owe it? Not because their parents deserve it. Right. Because their parents are fallen sinners, but because God has commanded it because that's the way God has organized it. Sure. Right. But the difference with God is fundamentally in the perfection of his being to not worship the infinite, glorious, holy, loving, merciful, righteous, just, yeah. wrathful, uh, you know, all these attributes God would be to not do him to, would be wrong. It's fundamentally wrong to not give glory to the one who's, who deserves right. it. Right. Um, and yet what do we do all the time? Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole nother discussion that we'll probably come into an in eschatology about, uh, divine punishment Ooh, for sin. But anyways, eschatology. we'll get there. Just little, oh, I can't wait little, for that episode. For, that's, that's I got a book be to like read before later. I get there. <laughs> yeah, me too. At this rate, uh, it's going to be a while, but that's okay. Uh, Justin, what is, what do we have in there? Just a little statement there on eternality. Right. So, um, uh, God's eternality, right? This idea that he, uh, is infinite in not just all of his attributes, but also, uh, in, in the scope of, uh, as we understand time, right? So God was, right. God is, 
and he is to come. <laughs> right? So uh, he's the eternal creator. God's attribute of being creator is part of who he is. Uh, it's not something which he takes on uh, in time and space. So when we when we understand rightly God's aseity, right, that this is autonomy, mm-hmm. his independence, we can more easily grasp this idea of his eternality, right? This idea that... Yeah. Um, honestly all these work together really well right he's unchanging and if he's unchanging that means he's never changed uh if he's autonomous it means none of these things have had to take place in space and time which is something that he's created space and time are created things um right and so god's outside of those things so naturally time doesn't necessarily as we understand it apply to god so he he has always been god he always will be god and he is god right um (laughs) <laughs> and those things are things that are immutable. They don't change and they're yeah. autonomous. Um, yeah. Basically just because he's a creator doesn't mean that he took on <laughs> something new. Right. What Dolezal says is just because he acts in what we perceive as right. time in the act of creating, it doesn't mean that he is any less eternally. Like he doesn't, <laughs> right. he doesn't in other words, he doesn't add something to himself right. when in the moment of creation, that wasn't already true of right. him. Right. Um, it's not as though he became something different than he was. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this is wow, blowing through it. And here's some final thoughts on Dolezal or from Dolezal on uh, divine simplicity. And I think you got some stuff from Jonathan J. 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 Edwards, Edwards coming in in a second. But uh, here's what Dolezal says. And again, we're quoting these guys because um, this is frankly above my pay grade, and I feel much more comfortable. <laughs> Uh, quoting people who have done the heavy lifting, who have done the exegesis, who have wrestled through historical theology and seen the shifts and, and movements in the right. church. The thing is, Blake and, and I who, aren't yeah. smart. We just read a lot. Right. <laughs> yeah. We just read a lot of people who are smarter than us yeah. and who help us to see, oh yeah, you're right. The Bible does from Genesis to Revelation declare that God is sovereign and changeless and holy and just and merciful and righteous um, and that not to the exclusion of the others in this. Yeah. Anyways, dude, this whiskey is so good. Also, oh my goodness. Dude, it's, this has been, I, I didn't even have to touch any of the tea yet because it doesn't dry out my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, this is great. All right. So Dolezal on classical theism uh, from page 43 in the all that is in God. He says, God's essence is not simply a bundle of contiguous properties or attributes. It's each existing alongside the others as an integrated whole. His divinity is not a sublime set of great making properties all splendidly arranged together in him. <laughs> I love that. In his essence, it is not one thing to be good, another to be wise, another to be powerful, and so on. Rather, the reality in virtue of which all these things are truly said of God is nothing but his own simple divinity. Properly speaking, God is good by virtue of God, not goodness. <laughs> he is wise by virtue of God. Not wisdom, which kind of think about Job, right? Yeah. Who was there? Who instructed me? Who gave me understanding, right? right. Uh, God didn't gain wisdom because wisdom is some external force to God that he had to take on. It's because he's God, right? Ooh, get it, get it excited <laughs> here. Uh, he is powerful by virtue of God, not power. He is love by virtue of God, not love, which is a big one. Especially today. today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you could talk about that for a second. We'll break up the quote here, but well, um, yeah. I mean, we see this a lot. I think in um, in the more Pentecostal movement, uh, sure. the feely movement, as you might say, because they're so wrapped up in emotion and feeling and um, you know encounters and all this stuff that they're just a, 
there's like this obsession with um, experiencing God's love, right? Uh, and they focus on his love and God is love and God's this. Uh, but but it's a lot less often you hear about these other attributes of God, right? Um, it's it, it's <laughs> And a lot of times, I think in our culture, uh, people hate God because God to them is not loving. But what they're doing is they're applying right. their standard of love to God, not God's standard of love by nature of the fact that he's God. God doesn't, right. God didn't define, right. God's not taking the <laughs> heavenly version of love and saying, this is what love is. God is saying, I am love. What God does by nature is love. And right. it's love because it's God, not because it's love. Right. <laughs> so Ooh. it's just, mm. we, we struggle with that so much. Um, but when yeah. you understand who God is, it's a lot less of a struggle. It's a lot less of a struggle yeah, to submit right. to that because we can know that because of God's nature, that it's perfect and that we can submit to it. That's good, man. <laughs> I'm going to keep quoting Dolezal yeah, Do- 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 here as he goes on. But I, I thought that was a natural good good uh, comment there. And when we say that God is goodness itself, wisdom itself, power itself, and love itself, we do not mean that these are so many really distinct parts or forms in God, but simply that he is all that is involved in these terms by virtue of his own divine essence Mm -hmm. as such. God is not the particular instantiation of a wonderful set of properties. Rather, there is nothing in God that is not identical with his divinity, nothing that is not just God himself. And he follows that again, talking about aseity here, page 45. If God is asi, of himself, then it follows that he does not derive any aspect of himself, existence, essence, <laughs> attributes, activity from another. Negatively, we indicate this by indicating that God is independent in being. As we talked about earlier, we have seen in the previous chapter that he is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. That's Acts yes. seventeen twenty five. He is the giver of being, not the receiver of it. For this reason, he is in no one's debt. The Apostle Paul asks in Romans eleven thirty five, who has given to him and it shall be repaid mm. to him. As no one supplies to God what he lacks, he is indebted to no one. And Dulles all cites Job 35, 7 through 8 and 41, 11. It would be odd if an affirmation of divine independence applied only to God's relationship with select creatures in certain situations. The sense of these passages is rather... God does not receive anything whatsoever from outside himself. Scripture affirms God's independence in a variety of ways. God does not derive knowledge from outside himself, and neither is he informed by creatures. Read that one again. (laughs) Neither is he informed by creatures. That's Isaiah uh, 14. Um, In other words, God has perfect knowledge. He's not gaining knowledge from us. Or from Satan, for that matter, or from the angels. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, his will is independent and so is not compelled by any other. And as Nebuchadnezzar declared after God humbled him, this is from Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? And that... Paul echoes that exact same thing in Romans 9. Hmm. Who are you, O oh man? To speak back to God. Right. Yeah. And, and here, and Job, again, it happens in Job, at the end of Job. <laughs> the testimony of Scripture is clear. Who are you, O oh man? You can't, we don't get to say to God, what have you done? Why have you made me this way? Sure. Why is this? Why is that? How presumptuous and arrogant. 
it's funny. We, <laughs> you and I have had a few conversations with at least one particular open theist about this. Um, sure. And you have to really run circular loops around Scripture to get the idea right. that God is uh, ultimately in need of gaining knowledge or that he's somehow <laughs> uh, setting up situations just so so that they turn out the way he wants them to, right? That sure. that would still imply that God is receiving something from man rather than the mm-hmm. fact that God in his independence and autonomy and wisdom and all of these attributes that he, he's managed to do exactly what he has set out to do and will accomplish exactly right. what he has intended to. It's just... You know, dude, it's, it just makes me want to worship because yeah, yeah absolutely. As, as I and this is why we started with talking about anthropomorphic language mm. because in the Bible there are passages yeah. where he says, you know, it did the classic one that Arminians always always go to is or synergists of any flavor <laughs> is well, uh, it it never entered my mind that you would do this sure. coming from the prophets about about you know the the child sacrifice. Yeah. Well, okay, hold on, let's think about this for a second. Because while this is an anthropomorphized example to explain to us something about the disposition of God towards this heinous act of child's murder, mm-hmm. um, at the same time, it does not mean that God isn't perfect in his knowledge sure. and infinite in his being, that he doesn't know the end from the beginning, right? Which we see from other scriptures. That's where we distinguish these different uses well, of that's language. Where we see, that's where really we see, I think th- those passages of scripture are a great indication of the lack of knowledge of man, not of God. It's our incapability of understanding who God is and his perf- mm-hmm. perfect knowledge that he has to speak to us in these uh, anthropomorphic ways so that we can understand even to some degree what God's disposition is towards certain things, right? Sure. Um, it's not as though God truly had regret in creating man when he wiped out man with the flood, right? Right. Uh, because that... That would that would screw up so much of uh, theology proper if we were to say that God well, had regret. And, and beyond theology proper, just to just to sidebar here, it would mess with other passages of scripture. Right. And what is the purpose of systematic theology? It's not to say, here's my view of God and I'm going to impose it on the scripture. It's to try to understand how the doctrines of the scripture as they're pre- presented organically in the text mm-hmm. unif- unify from Genesis to Revelation. And it's not hard to do. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, it is not hard to read the Bible and to come to the conclusion that God is absolutely sovereign and holy and just and righteous and merciful and gracious and loving and wrathful. The thing and is, these it's other, hard to do when you've you know, been ingrained in a society that wants sure. to teach you something else about God. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, my point with that is, though, that it, it's not as though we're sitting here, sitting on, on the laurels right. of you know Aquinas or Augustine or Calvin or Luther or Edwards or any of these guys and saying, well, they said it, so that's it. It's like, no, no, no. The scripture right. is very clear. Right. These guys are just better at consolidating uh the text so we're going to quote them uh (laughs) speaking of jonathan edwards yeah boy so as we come to more of a conclusion on this topic uh i think it's good that we get a little doxological we get a little worshipful Mm. right um all right amen you think that all of these things about god by nature would drive us to worship and that's naturally what we're Mm. called to do and what we're desired and created to do um so jonathan edwards from his sermons uh says this about god's attributes All of these attributes are necessary. If God did not display them, his glory would be diminished. As Edward says, If God's wisdom be manifest, but not his holiness, the glory of wisdom would not be manifest as it is. For one part of the glory of the attribute of divine wisdom is that it's a holy wisdom, 
right? Mm. <laughs> so if mm. his holiness were manifest and not his wisdom, the glory of his holiness would not be manifest as it is. For one thing which belongs to the glory of God's holiness is that it is a wise holiness. So it is with respect to the attributes of mercy and justice. The glory of one attribute cannot be manifest as it is without the manifestation of another. So in doxology, mm. we can affirm what Jonathan says here. He says, I thought with myself how excellent a being that was and how happy I should be if I might enjoy that God and be wrapped up to God in heaven as it were to be, uh, or as be as it were swallowed up in him. So mm. in other words, I, I love this. I love this because God has chosen to reveal the attributes that he has because those attributes perfectly display his other attributes, right? <laughs> Talk about a, a wonderfully perfect revelation. And only a God, mm. only a being that is totally perfect could perfectly do that, yeah. right? Um, I, I, love, I love what he says. I love what he says there about, you know, about the reason that divine wisdom is what it is, is because it's a holy wisdom. But that has to be because right. we know what God's holiness is as well. It's it's right. and Sproul talks about that in his book, The Holiness of God, right. where he says right, his love is a holy love, right. a just love, a long suffering right. love. And likewise, his justice is a loving justice, mm -hmm. a holy justice, mm -hmm. a wise justice. Right. And it comes to that simple concept. All that is in God is God. So when you read Exodus 34, <laughs> which I would encourage you to do. And you see God's self-revelation to Moses in this unveiled form. Think on that. Think about these, the fact that these things God, are, God is saying aren't things that he's taking on himself right. and just expressing. They are his very nature. And, and by that, like Edward says, we should be so invested in loving God because of who he mm -hmm. is that we'd be happy yeah. to be swallowed up by it. Yeah. Yeah, man. It is so good. And I have some final, some final thoughts here from our boy, Harman Bavink, mm -hmm. uh, on the importance of these classical doctrines. This is Wonderful Works of God, also the book Our Reasonable Faith, which Wonderful Works of God is a reprint of. Mm -hmm. So the page numbers are the same, pages 119 to 120. He said, if God is not held to be independent and unchangeable, eternal and omnipresent, simple and free from comp compositism, he is pulled down to the level of the creature and is identified with the world in its totality, or with one of its powers. Hence, the number of those is constantly increasing who exchange the God of Revelation for an, I don't know how to say that word, immanistic? Immanistic. I don't know. Immanistic. Immanistic. Oh, wait, it's immanentistic. I should have prepared for this more. Immanentistic world force. Uh, hence the number of those, this is why we read these guys and don't try to do it ourselves. <laughs> hence the number of those is constantly increasing who exchange the God of revelation for an, an imminent, <laughs> I can't even do it, uh, world force or who prefer to confess polytheism rather than one true God. It is clear that the oneness and unity of God is directly connected with the incommunicable attributes. God is the one God and the only God. Only if no one and nothing can be what he is alongside of him or under him. And only if he is independent and unchangeable, eternal and omnipresent, can he be the God of our unconditional faith, of our absolute trust, and of our perfect 
salvation. Mm. Ooh, yeah. I struggled yeah. there a little, but you know what? God is good. He is. Well, uh, so yeah, that's yeah. that. I think that as usual, Bavink represents beautifully, <laughs> right? This idea that because of God being who he is, um, that number one, no one can be what he is. And number two, right. God couldn't be who he is if somebody else was like God, right? Right. <laughs> right. Um, right. Yeah. There's no one like Not our God, all. right? There is none. Well, he says that in Isaiah, yeah. you know, uh, th- yeah. there are no other gods. I know of no other gods, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Great. Wilden. So uh, you have some recommendations I see here for further reading. Uh, sure. I only know two out of the four, so I'll let you take that. <laughs> sure. Um, so these are uh works that i personally the only one of these that i have read and i've read it about three times now is all that is in god by james dolezal we also have another book on here which is god without parts by james dolezal which as far as i understand is a little bit more technical uh treatment of the subject Mm. um so that's like another kind of next level and then after those these are books that i haven't personally read but they're on my reading list so i can't attest to everything in them other than the fact that they've been recommended to me by um, people who I trust and who have given good recommendations in the past. So I, I leave that preface here. Um, but these are just considerations for your further reading on this topic. All that is in God by James Dolezal, God without parts by James Dolezal, uh, Conf- uh, God that is impassable and impassioned by Rob Lister, and Confessing the Impassable God, which is a combination of essays from different authors. Um, and we didn't even really get too far into that, uh, but we'll talk about it at some point, yeah. the impass- impassibility of God, uh, this idea that he isn't driven around by winds of emotion, um, which when you say that to somebody, right, if you say God isn't passionate about God's you, not emotional, uh, right? <laughs> right. God, God doesn't, God doesn't, uh, God isn't, isn't, uh, passionate about you and God isn't, uh, enthralled by mm-hmm. you. Right. If we, if we take those things that evangelical evangelicalism loves oh to my throw gosh, around, they love that half, half right? the worship music is about God being enthralled yeah. with you and he right. loves you. But if you take all, yeah. if you strip that away from the biblical and you look at the biblical yeah. testimony, God, because God doesn't experience change, right. He doesn't have emotions. Yeah. Um, now that's, I'd throw that in right here as a curveball at the very <laughs> end. Uh, but I, I want to say this though, think about this. If that statement makes you unsettled, that's okay, but think about this. If God has emotions, if God truly is passionate, think about what it is to be passionate. It's to be stirred up with emotion about a specific subject, which means there was a time when you weren't stirred up with it, and it means there will be a time when you may not be. Right. That's a change. And how much more <laughs> how much more joyous and and restful and how much more peace can we have in the fact that God doesn't take on these attributes. He is love. So I think, yeah, that's what that's one of the things. I, again, I think a big fault of uh, the Western Church and in, in, in yeah. uh, just sinful human nature in general. This idea that we mm-hmm. apply our version of love to what God is. So, right. Right. it actually brings more comfort to know that God's love for me is not driven by a weird passion that could come and go or that could yeah. uh, rise and then fall. Right. God's love for right. me is perfect and that it is an unchanging uh, love, right? This this love that mm-hmm. no matter what I do, God's love for me is not going to change, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about comfort, <laughs> right? Yeah. That That's, if we understand that who God is and by nature is love, we shouldn't be upset that his love for us is not emotional the way that we think of emotion and love. Um, right, and, be- 
the kind of yeah. love that we're called to, for example, in a marriage is to be loving like Christ. In other words, don't only love your wife when you feel the emotion of love or the passion of love. Love right. your wife regardless. Right. You made a vow. Right. Stay true to that. Uh, you know, forget right. the emotion that comes and goes. Um, right. Yeah. 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 I could, we could go that's on. That's a good example. Uh, <laughs> no, and, and that's actually a really good point, right? Because Christ loved the, loves the church. And the picture of that is the husband loving his wife. As Christ loves the church. Right. Exactly. Right. That's the, that's the por- marriage isn't a portrait of the father and son or any of these things yeah. that, that we'll, we'll talk about that some <laughs> yes. other episode, but um, as far as, but it's Christ in the church. Mm. Right. And so how much more, how much more joy do, can we have knowing that Jesus love for his church, for us as individuals that he died for, isn't based on some whim of emotion yeah. that comes and goes, that wanes when we fail, that, that, that grows stronger when we're more pious, but rather it is a love that is eternal. Well, it is a love that is infinite. Right. Right. I mean, like, and, and that's ooh. important to understand. This is why it's important to understand how the Bible uses language. Right. Because when, Absolutely. when, when we understand, when it says that, for example, God, uh, God, uh, we is weeping over something. For example, we have to understand that God is not literally up there in tears, weeping with regret or sorrow over something. Um, it, it's a way for un- us to understand how God feels about that particular thing. Um, so that's why it's so important to understand how the Bible uses language to help yeah. us understand God, who, who God's nature and who he is. Yeah. And speaking of that, this is a great unintentional segue. What are we going to talk about <laughs> next week, Justin? So next week we're going to touch on the topic of general revelation. I can tell you right now, there's Ooh. going to be a whole lot of Bob Inc. in that episode. <laughs> what? Uh, because uh, by nature, uh, we are reading through general and special revelation right now. Uh, in our Distilling Theology reading group, which you should join Providential. if, if you uh, have the wonderful works of God. Uh, and if you don't, mm. get it, because it's amazing. Uh, and, it is. Uh, and, and I say it's that so as good. a Baptist, right? Uh, <laughs> it's incredible, <laughs> and you should uh, you should get yeah. it, join the reading group, and we can talk about these things beyond just the podcast. Yeah, um, yeah I've been super thrilled by all that. Yeah, and, um, I, and I agree with Sinclair Ferguson. It's probably the most beautiful mm. expression in the English language of systematic theology. Right. Uh, and it's easy to read. It's and super that's easy. I'm like, it's like, okay, well, people are like, well, uh, Grudem's super accessible. I'm like, yeah, but Grudem has serious theological problems <laughs> right. um, that he hasn't renounced. So instead of reading yeah. Grudem, why not read Bavink, who's easy, like easy to read. The language is more beautiful. And if you want that uh, sort of level of um, intense academia, I mean, there's other things that you can read. Uh, Beaky's Reformed the Systematic Theology, version of- right? Uh, or Reform right. Dogmatics by Bob Inc. You know the four volume. The four volumes. Right. That this is a distillation. So yeah. anyway, we're gonna be we're gonna be talking a lot about that, and then uh, we're gonna be drinking New yeah. Riff Single Barrel Pick Sour Mash, uh, which was sent to us by no other Samuel Shabel. Is that how you pronounce his name? I don't know. Shabel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he's a he's a good friend of ours and uh, a member of yeah. uh, Distilling Theology's Facebook group, um, and also. A member of our Patreon, (laughs) (laughs) which you should definitely join. You'll get to see this episode visually. Uh, You'll get uh, additional content. We got to be on what, like fifty posts now? Uh, Different fifty-one. Fifty-one, yeah, fifty-one exclusive posts that you only get if you're on Patreon. Um, We have some other episodes that are not going to be released to the general public uh, on other topics, movies, and books and mm-hmm. conversations with DT admins and all kinds of fun at stuff. At some point, we'll do our, our apology for The Last Jedi. <laughs> uh, 
surprise, little little teaser there. So yeah, you should join Patreon. It's three ninety nine a month, uh, less than an expensive cup of coffee from Starbucks. <laughs> um, so I highly recommend it, uh, and not just because of this, but I think you'll enjoy the content. Yeah. Um, I've really enjoyed having the patrons on there and having that interaction. Right, you get to vote uh, on whiskeys and group. stuff like that. You know, you can. That's uh, right, patron. You get to. Um, there's going to be merch that's going to be given away down the road. It's going to um, be happening. And it's because of the patrons that we're going to be able to do things like merchandise, be able to have an online right. store that we're working on, things like that. So, right. uh, yeah. That's how we're able to do the giveaway right. that we just right. that we just that we did. Just, so, that just passed. Um, yeah. Hit us up on social media. Get the Facebook group, uh, Facebook page. Like the Facebook page as well because that's where we post a lot of uh, updates and things like that. Um, Instagram. Right. Our, Instagram our Instagram is lit, yeah. dude. It's lit. It's, it's crazy. so good. It's crazy. And it's about to get more lit because you and I both got some more books. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of pictures. <laughs> but at the time of recording, neither of us have received them yet. But by the time the episode is out, I think both of us will have our new mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. So those will be finding their way into the Instagram feed <laughs> in no time. Uh, but yeah, man, this has been great. I really enjoyed it. I'm sorry the episodes are a little bit longer, but theology proper is one of those things that is um, imminently important, yes. but it's also a little bit more technical and complicated. And there's a little bit more legwork that has to be done because we don't because ultimately right it's very easy to misspeak about god and that's the last thing that we want to do and so that's the only reason why theology proper has been split into three episodes is because we want to be careful that we're speaking about god biblically and that we are um that we're not stepping out of the bounds and starting to say things about god that are untrue even accidentally um and that's part of the reason for this stuff so it's not because we want to hear the sound of our own voices we don't um (laughs) but hopefully you enjoy it uh And if you're not already, please like, share, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts. And if you don't mind leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate it. Helps us with visibility. I stole that from the Bobcast, who are brand new, and they're they're (laughs) crushing it. Uh, So anyways, we got to wrap this thing up. Justin, uh, any final thoughts before we say the tag? No, you know, I think think it's important for all Christians to understand how important these doctrines are to, to consider investing time and effort and resources into understanding these things. You know, we love God, and if we love God, we want to know more about God, and the best way to do that is to spend time uh, in his word ultimately first mm-hmm. and then uh, understand uh, church history and understand the people who have written about these things for thousands of years um, right. and, and to be able to, to gain wisdom uh, from from uh, our brothers and sisters in the faith throughout history. So, um Get after it. If you have questions, uh, don't ask us. Ask somebody smarter. Uh, but you can definitely go on to the Facebook group and, and ask us there. Um, yeah, that's all I got. That's good stuff. Blake, whatever you do. Whether you eat or drink. To all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria.